Uh, Andrew's been in Washington, D.C. Um, he'll probably talk about that at the State Department and the Pentagon. And uh, I think most of you probably are aware of what he does and his background. Uh, he's truly a loose cannon. Um, my favorite loose cannon in the world you are, Andrew. But uh, he serves St. George's Parish in Baghdad. And uh, some of you have been maybe getting some of his emails and the challenge of that. And he uh, presently is the president of the Foundation for Reconciliation in the Middle East is very uh, versed at what is going on in the Middle East and as thoughtful people uh, and as a church community that wants to think uh, well about the world and our place in it. Uh, it's just my delight to introduce to you Andrew Cannon-White. Let's give him a warm welcome. He's going to give sort of an update and then some question and answer. So, welcome. Thank you, You don't need to stand yet. (laughs) You might not like what I have to say. Can we just pray before we begin? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will direct us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will open our ears to hear you and our eyes to see you. And that in all we do and say, we may glorify you. Amen. Isn't the weather awful? (laughs) It's just like England. And the reason I don't spend much time in England is because it's usually like this. Anyway, anybody under 20 here? How old are you? Okay, you can have these when I show them. These are, I'm going to show you our three main badges from Iraq. That's the badge for multinational forces in Iraq. (laughs) This is what we have now on the back of our T-shirts in Iraq. I must confess I don't wear them. It says, smile, it's going to get worse. (laughs) And this is the last one. It's deteriorated considerably, so the back of the T-shirts has got worse. It It says, have a nice day somewhere else. (laughs) And... It has a happy face with a bullet for the the head. (laughs) And in many respects, we have to smile and laugh in Iraq. Otherwise, we'd cry all the time. It is so terrible. Um, Most of you probably heard me when I was here last time, and I explained that Our work in Iraq is predominantly political and diplomatic and religious, working with the tribal and religious leaders. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, I do God. And uh, Saturdays is Iraqi church, and Sundays is mainly American church. I think I may have told you that my previous chaplain in the International Zone, I used to work with him, um, he used to have a bring a brick to church Sunday. Didn't work then, doesn't work now. 
Most of our congregation are Americans. The Brits don't like coming to church very much. Uh, I have been in Iraq for a considerable while, um, for about eight and a half years. So you remember this pack of cards which came out with the most wanted. And um, I can remember when I first got the pack of cards and I looked through them and I counted them and I realised that 22 of them I knew very well and 8 of them I'd had dinner with in the past year. So I wasn't very careful who I had as my friends. But now our work in Iraq, who would like these? I'll give Pete, my assistant, them to give out to whoever he wants to. And um, I, I remember that um, today we can only do our work because we were there before. And as regards a coalition, I think I'm the only one who was there um, in Iraq before the war. I haven't met anybody else yet in the coalition who was actually there before. And certainly as we come to work with the religious and tribal leaders, it's imperative that we actually um, engage with the people we engage with before. And the people we engage with now are considered bad then they were good. And the ones who were considered bad before are now considered the good ones. If I can just give you an idea, the main Sunni leader I work with, Sheikh Abdul Latif Humayim, he has left Iraq now because he'd be killed if he stayed. But he's in Amman. Um, still doing bad things from Amman. He was the person who went on Hajj, went on pilgrimage for Saddam Hussein. He also wrote the Quran in Saddam's blood. And when debathification took place, 72 million pounds was removed from his bank account. He was the president of the Islamic Bank, so he could get access to money quite clearly. I want to come back to Iraq in a moment, and I just want to talk to you briefly about the situation in Israel and Palestine, where we also work. In fact, I'll be there next week. In Israel and the Palestinian areas, today we have a huge crisis. I used to run the religious track of the Middle East peace process, but we don't have a Middle East peace process anymore. Things are very bad. There is almost, we're on the verge of civil war between Fatah, the PLO, and um, Hamas. Once again, we have to work with a lot of the bad people. And it's very interesting that the Israeli government actually 
know we work with the bad people and want us to because they have to have some means of getting a channel of communication across. It reminds me of the days when Sharon and Arafat didn't speak to each other. They used to just send me to take messages um, from one to the other. And so we are having to reassess completely how we do our work there, and we have to realize we can no longer get the Palestinian leaders into um, Israel, and we can no longer get the Israelis into the Palestinian area. So we're now looking at what we can do outside the region. Sorry, not outside the region, outside the country. So we're planning to try and do work in Egypt, for example. But I'm actually quite worried about the security of the Israelis if we're to do work in um, Egypt. As regards uh, the church in Israel and Palestine, it's as unhealthy as it ever was. We have got this huge divide between the Christians who support Israel and the Christians who support the Palestinians. And continually, we are asked, whose side are we on? And the fact is, we love both people. We love both Israel and believe in the right and the importance of Israel to exist. We love the Palestinian people and believe in the rights of the Palestinian people, not least the Christians. And most Christians who go to Israel do not even realize that there is a very considerable church there and a church which is diminished very considerably, a church which has suffered very considerably, and a church which is really a rock bottom. When I go there, I usually try and spend Sunday in Gaza. And there is an evangelical church in Gaza, and I love preaching in this church. And um, it gives great affinity to the people in um, Gaza to know that the pastor from the church in Baghdad is coming to them. And we often talk about things and we find there are great similarities. When I'm in Gaza, um, we are now protected by the president's security, so we have big people around us with guns all the time. But the guns are not quite as big as the guns we have in Iraq, are they? I think our guns with our armed guards in Iraq were even bigger. And the church there and the church, the Christians in Bethlehem are suffering terribly. They often do not have any food. The hospitals often without the most basic necessities. And people come to us all the time to try and help them. And there was a time uh, a few months ago when we were able to provide considerable support to the Christians in Bethlehem 
and in Gaza and such places. But now it's very difficult because we just don't have the funds to enable us to provide. I have staff in Gaza and staff in Jerusalem. And increasingly, we have had to work at the relief side of the work because things are very slow on the political side and because you can only maintain the relationships if um, you help people. I'm very grateful to somebody from this church, I don't know who it was, who wrote something very nice on a blog, which I, I must confess I don't usually read blogs, but this was sent to me by somebody in the US, and it was criticising me following the release of the false hostages. And yes, I did get the fox hostages out. And I dealt with it by dealing with the very, very bad people. And to be quite honest, I wasn't going to work on this case because I had three days assigned as a holiday period with my family. And whenever I've tried to have a holiday or it's been Christmas or something, hostages have usually been taken. It's completely taken over my holiday. So it took over my holiday, but we were in Disneyland in Paris, so I had Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck to help me with the hostage negotiations. And um, it came to... I was, we, I managed to identify who had these people and we made contact with them. And uh, they were going to kill them. They were really bad people. And they just wanted to um, show that they, as a new group in Gaza, were worse than everybody else. And um, the, I got very involved when the father of one of the hostages, who was a minister, a pastor, um, contacted me. Unfor well, fortunately or unfortunately, I sat on a committee with him. Even though he was a New Zealander, he um, is working in Bromley, in Kent, actually. And um, he begged me to try and get his sons out, and we got working on it. And Near the end of the negotiations, I said to the kidnappers, right, what videos have you taken? So they told me they'd taken five different videos, and one of them was uh, these people converting at gunpoint. So I said, great, show that video. And then we'll send a car, and you release them. And we asked them what else they wanted. They said 12,000 school bags for the children going back to school that week. I said, we'll give you 12,000 school bags. And they wanted one or two houses repaired. So we got working on all of those things. But certain Christians in America completely withdrew their support to us because we got these guys out alive and because they were held at gunpoint with um, 
uh, and made convert to Islam. Somebody from this church, I don't know who, um, wrote something saying, I'm not actually a woolly liberal, and that I do believe the Bible, and I believe in Jesus. And the fact is that I'm not woolly liberal, and I do believe in Jesus, but you do not get hostages out by working, uh, by preaching to people and telling them that Jesus loves them and they ought to let these people go. Just doesn't work. You know, the kind of people who do kidnappings are really bad. Only really bad people. And therefore, you often have to do very bad things to get them out. The last people I got out of Gaza um, was a family called the Burton family. Uh, Kate Burton worked there. She was English. They brought up in Belgium. And she'd taken her parents there at Christmas to show them how safe it was. They were all kidnapped. So, you know, I, I admit, in her situation, I said to the kidnappers, well, I'm going to write you a statement saying how awful the British are and how all the problems are because of the British. Tie Kate up, hold a gun to her, and read this statement. So they read what I wrote. They tied her up, held a gun to her, and then we got her out. This is the reality of how it happens. You can try and do hostage negotiations by government diplomacy and talking with presidents and people. It doesn't work. The presidents don't usually do the kidnapping. So I thought I'd just tell you that. Things are very difficult. And um, it's not straightforward, and it's often very difficult. Now, back in Iraq, we are faced with the biggest crisis ever. I love Iraq. I love the Iraqi people. I told Joe Bremer, Paul Brambaster, Paul, Paul Bremer, when he, in the days of the CPA, I said to him, Unless you recognize religious sectarian violence, you're going to have a huge crisis on your hands. And you're going to have an incredible religious insurgency here. He said to me, this isn't really a religious country. He said, it's very secular. We're not expecting any of that here. So, you know, I'm very diplomatic. <laughs> so I said to him, rubbish. <laughs> I said, you'll be gone when it happens, but it's going to happen. So now we are having to acknowledge that the majority of violence that we see in Iraq is religious in its orientation. I sat down with Prime Minister al-Maliki, the Iraqi Prime Minister, the other day with Pete, and we were talking to him about the issues of religious sectarianism, and he said to us, all of our insurgency is religious. 
This is a very difficult thing for us to have to face. All of the killing and massacring is in the name of religion. Religion, when it goes wrong, goes very wrong. And it kills people. And it maims people. One of the few things which keeps me going is our church in Baghdad. And I so look forward to Saturdays. And our church meets in the Iraqi Prime Minister's office. It was quite interesting to know the church met in his office. When I told him the other day, he was quite pleased that a church was meeting in Shiite Muslim Prime Minister's office. I think it's probably the only church in the world that meets in the Shiite Muslim Prime Minister's office. And at first, my congregation used to um, fear coming into the international zone to church. But now they realize it's probably one of the few safe places to worship. So they come and worship. Our services are long. They're growing in number and length. I tried to finish the service the other day after five hours. You know, I thought we'd done enough church for the day and they continued singing for another two hours. So it was seven hours that day. We have these wonderful little children and... The children always come and sing to us. They sing in Arabic. They've learnt one or two English songs, and I love them so much. And I looked at these children the other day, and I thought about which of them had had their fathers killed. And then I looked at the rows of chairs and the people sitting and increasingly, every week, there are more women in black, and they have had their husbands killed. Last time I was here, I think I was just coming up these steps when I looked at my Blackberry, and I read that my church had just been blown up again. And so now we have huge barricades outside and razor wire, and it's very difficult. Eleven of my staff have been killed in the past year. All of my lay church leaders have been killed. After the service each day, each Sunday, I listen to the needs of the people and they tell me how many days they haven't eaten for, how many days they've not been able to even drink for. They tell me that their husbands have been killed or their brothers or their father or their mother. And I listen and I promise to help everyone. We have to even be careful how we help people because if it is known that we're helping people, our leaders will be kidnapped and killed. But this is the nature of our church. 
the best church I've ever served. I love this church. The other night in Baghdad, I sat on the edge of my bed and I just cried. Every day that week, friends and colleagues have been killed. And the thing which really hit me was that one of my colleagues had had all her family killed apart from one person. And I honestly wished that she had been killed. She was shot in the face through both eyes. She was knifed all over her body, shot at in her legs and her abdomen. She lived and she was taken by the Americans to hospital. All these people were Muslims. Most of the people who are killed and maimed are Muslim. That's because there are more Muslims than Christians. The Christians are suffering terribly, but so are the Muslims. And it does worry me somewhat when I read certain coverage in the Christian media in particular which doesn't talk of the wrongs being committed against Muslims, just Christians. More mosques have been blown up than churches, many more. It's really almost a hundred to one. And when they blow these places up, such as in Samaria recently, they blew up a golden dome shrine which had stood for over a thousand years. Ninety people were killed in that attack. Just today, many people have been killed. And so... It is terrible. Things are really bad. I've spent this week in Washington. You probably know I like the Pentagon and not the State Department very much. State Department is nearly as bad as Democrats. But um, I think they are all Democrats. But this week at the State Department, I'm just being a bit more forward than I was last time. <laughs> uh, last time that um, I always say to Pete, my assistant who organizes the meetings, I do not want to go to the State Department anymore. It's a waste of time. But he insisted. He sometimes does insist. And the ambassador we went to see just spoke to us about the love of Jesus. He was right. I was wrong. It's very good to know that there was somebody there who really understand, understood the issues of the Christians. I baptize people regularly in Baghdad. The other night we had a little meeting in a house in Washington with some of the former staff who had been in Baghdad with us. And there was a wonderful lady called Allison who um, I had baptized in Saddam's swimming pool. He 
thought he built a good swimming pool, he built a brilliant baptistry. <laughs> it's great for baptising people. So we baptised people in quite regularly, and that day we baptised a general as well in the swimming pool. Wasn't a British one. And... Um, When did I last come here? A year ago. I'll tell you about Easter. On Easter Day, we had uh, wonderful services, both amongst the Iraqis and amongst the Americans. And you know when God really puts something in your mind, you know it's of God and you can't move away from it. And it was that song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. Because I Know, I Know He Holds a Future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. And we sang all the verses so many times at every service. And I can remember the morning service at 6 o'clock, the sunrise service, we could hear the bombs going off in the background and the birds singing, and we had hope just because he lived. And amidst the tragedy and the terrible things which have been happening, we have had to rely more on the fact that God is with us and the living God is with us. And in everything we do, even though I say we do God on Saturdays and Sundays, Jesus is with us every day. This week, the, the Pentagon and ourselves worked very closely together for a long time, but this week they found a way to actually enable our work to happen. And the Pentagon with the Iraqi government have given us a job of dealing with all the religious sectarianism in Iraq. It's a fairly large task. <laughs> but it's not a large task for God. I mentioned to you how on... Sundays I sit in, Saturdays I sit in one of the chairs and I listen to the stories of the people. Those of you who receive our updates will know the story about little Vivian, a little girl in our congregation with bladder cancer. And we'd been trying to help the family and suddenly Vivian's father came to me with a letter and it said all of our urologists have been killed or kidnapped and our radiotherapy machine is broken. We can't do anything else to treat this little girl. And it was written in English. And I just took Vivian in my arms and I just prayed for her. I said, Lord, send a urologist. Thought I could pray. I continued listening to the stories of the other people and that night I went back to my security compound within the international zone and all I could pray, Lord, send us a urologist. And that, the next morning, 
in chapel taking the American Protestant service, which was really good. I stand at the door afterwards, you know, morning, General, very good to see you, good morning, Colonel. I just know by their badges what rank they are. I've learnt that much, that's all I've learnt. So uh, I go into my traditional, you know, minister's bit, you know, saying goodbye to these people. And this man came up to me and he said, hi, he said, I'm from, I was born in England. I said, you don't sound like it. And I said, where were you born? He said, in Hampshire. I said, I live in Hampshire. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I'm only working at the cash. CASH stands for Combat Army Support Hospital. And I said, what are you doing at the CASH? He said, I'm only a urologist. <laughs> I said, you're the only person I want to see in the world at the moment. And he saw Vivian the next day and he took on her care. And Vivian is now in hospital in Jordan. We found um, a wonderful consultant urologist who took her on and has cared for her. And in um, two weeks' time, she will have major surgery and have her bladder removed. It's the only opportunity of going for a cure. And I go and see her every time I go through Amman. I love this little girl. And it's wonderful to see how God has answered that prayer for a urologist. And so I don't know what's happening. Things are really awful. The American government is doing all it can to try and bring a resolution to the solutions. It can't do everything. And its biggest mistake was not engaging with the religious issues earlier on. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, I can go back next week. And because he lives, I know that he will come to every meeting with me. And so even though our work is intensely political and diplomatic, Jesus is there with us. I was, some of you may know, I teach at Wheaton College, and I was doing some teaching at Wheaton, and I had a phone call, and uh, it was a lady on the phone, I didn't know this lady, she said, I wrote that song, it was Gloria Gaither, and i never heard of her. <laughs> I have now. Go and see her next month. But somebody had forwarded to her one of the updates from Easter in Baghdad and how important this song was to us. And at times when I'm stuck in Baghdad, I still sing this song. God is really at work. And it is really frightening. Our work is harder than ever. P 
Pete, my assistant, came to Baghdad with me recently, and um, I told him he didn't need an alarm clock because we had bombs to wake us up every morning. He didn't hear them at first. It took you a day, didn't it, to know what was a bomb? What was somebody just shaking the cabin? I baptized four people the other day. I baptized them in Saddam Hussein's palace. They were all Muslims. They were all Iraqis, and people are trying to kill all of them. We have had to move two of them into our secure compound. Another two had to flee Iraq because the little girl was going around telling people that every night she spoke to Jesus and every night she read about Jesus in the Bible and they came to kill her and her family. And I saw this little girl the other day and... um, I had lunch with her grandparents in Jordan. And I I said to them, well, where's Mariam going to go to school? And they said, oh, we can't really afford to send her to school. They said she won't be able to go to school for the first, at least a year. So I said, she's got to go to school. I said, I will pay to send her to any school in um, Jordan. And the schools are very expensive in Jordan. But I knew that it was right to send this little girl to school. And she cried and cried and cried when I said we were going to send her to school. She'd never dreamt that she would get back to school. I'm looking at my Blackberry because I'm trying to find a poem that her grandfather sent me the other night because I want to read it to you. And um, it was just wonderful to receive emails this week of how uh, this little girl is going to school and she's loving school and she's being educated the best ever. She said that she was used to 60 children in a class, but there are only 20 children in this class in the school we have sent her to. And so we really give thanks to God for these very small things, even though everything may seem awful and may seem terrible, and even though we um, found it, we uh, baptised all of her family, we know that God is involved with them. We're now trying to get two of the sons who also work at the American Embassy as translators, another reason to kill them, um, to come and work with us in England. We put in the applications for a work permit for them to come over. So this is the nature of our work now. It's all very difficult. On Thursday nights, 
I do the Alpha course in Baghdad, and we do it in the room of the Revolutionary Guard, where Saddam used to sit around this table. We now sit around it and teach people about Jesus. We now have five Alpha courses running in the international zone in Baghdad. We have one in Spanish for the um, guards from South America. We have an Asian one, an Arabic one, and two English ones. So it's wonderful to see what God is doing. And it is these God things that give us hope. Without him, we don't have any hope. Things are terrible. I want to finish just by reading you this poem written by this little girl's grandfather. He writes a poem about Baghdad. He says they can take the house, only rocks, iron, and solid blocks. They can scatter the flowers, step the grass out, destroy the trees, but no one can kill the memories. Baghdad, you, the lady of ladies, city of cities, the river, your son, between your historic arms, they can kill your smell, your breeze, but no one can kill the memories. One here, he, others there, no lives, no love, they kill in all means, but no one can kill the memories. Iraq, your sons, killing your sons, every wrong, every sin, images are all guns, but no one can kill the memories. The torch of hope, the light of Christ, we feel the sun of faith shine and please the path. The hearts were gathered again, no past, no hate, no fear their memories will live with us forever. That was written two days ago by one of the men that I baptised with his family.